Let's continue on now in our sermon series in Romans, Romans chapter 1. And this is kind of really the second part of the, the heart of the gospel. And we're looking at two verses this morning, verses 16 and 17. After Paul introduces himself, greets the people there, lays down the purpose why he came, why he's coming. He's telling the people there at Rome, the Christians there at Rome, that, and we talked about this last week, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again we come before you. We pray, Lord God, for your power, for the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us, that you would give us insight, conviction. Open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, Lord, to your word. I pray that we're not just burdened being here, but we have a purpose for being here, Lord God, and and just looking forward to... um, learning and growing and understanding. And that, again, comes from you. So I ask that you would be with me to bring your word powerfully, Lord God, um, in a way that's able to be understood, a way that would be uh, convicting where it needs to be, encouraging where it ought to be, Lord God. So please bless this message to your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and praise God. So last week we talked about never being ashamed of the gospel. We had a whole sermon on that because we struggle with that, don't we? Not that we're ashamed, ashamed, like, you know, in a denying kind of way, but, you know, we're kind of almost embarrassed to, to speak the truth of the gospel or give the whole gospel. We want to perceive, be perceived by people in certain ways, all of that. So we spent last week talking, and I think rightly so, about not being ashamed. We have nothing to be ashamed of. The other people that love their sin and are so proud of it, they should be ashamed of what they're doing because they're defying God, man. And they're putting it like in his face. And there's no shame there. There's pride in that. And here we are as Christians kind of like, okay, but Jesus, no, wait a minute. This is the power of God. This is the way of salvation. This is what you need. So we should be unashamed of the gospel, to speak it plainly, boldly, with confidence. Gave several reasons for that last week. We talked about that. But the chief reason that Paul gives for not being ashamed of the gospel is found right here in that same verse. Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's it. It's the power of God for everyone who believes in Christ. That's the transforming power of the gospel. That's what it's all about. That's the heart of Christianity. This is where it begins and we go from here. But it's the power of God. So, number one, what it is. It, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that word for power, I know that you've heard this many times. What's that word for power? Greek scholars. <laughs> dunamis. Dunamis is the word. Dynamite. That's where we get the word from. And it means it's a, it is a powerful working of God in the heart of unbelievers. It's a force. That's what it is. It's an uns- you can't stop it. That's that, the powerful working. Like when a bomb explodes, it's going to do what it does, right? And that damage. This is the dunamis of God, might. And even it's used for miraculous power, the miraculous power seen in Jesus Christ. And that's what salvation is. It really is a miracle of God working in our hearts. 
So in, in um, Luke chapter 8, 46, he says this. Check, this, check it out. Remember the woman who had the, the illness, the bleeding for a long time? She said, if I could just touch the, his cloak, I know I'll be healed. And there were all these people gathered around, right? And, and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? There's a million people gathered around you. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power, dunamis, has gone out from me. That's that power going out. So that's the transforming power. So number one, it's a powerful working of God in the life and heart of the unbeliever, who otherwise would have nothing to do with God, or just like on your terms do with God, or in a, in a kind of way maybe when you need him, but not in a transformative, saving way. Number two, since it is the power of God to change hearts, and everything I'm talking about today, we're going to expand upon in the gospel. What we're talking about here in these two verses is just like a little capsule of what is uh, explained and expanded on throughout the rest of this letter. Can I say gospel? The rest of this letter as, as he goes through it. So number one, it's the powerful working of God in the life and heart of a believer. That's why Paul's not ashamed. And number two, this is why, because it is the power of God unto salvation, that we can't mess with it. That we must preach it. And this is this is instructive for you that you need to tell fully and faithfully the entire gospel of Christ. You know, we, we don't need to help God by altering the gospel message. The power is in the message through him as we preach it faithfully, man. We don't squelch on it. We don't try to change it. We don't try to make it more friendly for people. We preach it the way he's brought it forth, right? That's what we have. We need to be brave and do that. Again, because ultimately it gets back to how we're perceived. How we don't want people to be like, you know, kind of, look, man, if we're honest, if we're following Christ, he tells us to expect trouble. People aren't going to love us in that way. So why waste our time trying to, you know, take off the hard edges of the gospel in that regard? There's power as we preach it faithfully. So we do have to talk about the sinfulness of man, not just the mistakes that we all make. We do need to talk about truly repenting of our sin, not just being sorry about the things that we've done that kind of were bad choices that we've made. Do you understand? That's what he said, because there's power in the gospel as we preach it faithfully, that we need to repent, that we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not simply ask Jesus into our heart, maybe he'll come. No, you're to repent Believe and receive Jesus Christ who lived for you, who died for your sins, who was buried on the third day, was raised again. It has to be the whole thing. You understand? That's where the power is. That's the dunamis is in there. And we do not do justice to the Lord. And I believe it might be the sin of fear or vanity or whatever that we don't give the full message. Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation. That's why we can't, we can't squelch. We can't, we can't back off on it. Look, we've done that for years and look where we are in evangelicalism. Look where the church is. We've taken the, the edge off the gospel and we have Christians who don't know the gospel. They're believing in something other than the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And it's not going to stand in days like we're living in today. That's why so many of the churches are just kind of rolling over. We don't have that strong message, that power, that dunamis isn't there because we're not speaking the truth in love. We're not giving the full gospel faithfully. We need to do that, right? It starts with you. It starts with us, amen? And number three, it's the power of God to save. It's not you. It's not your power. It's not something that you do. It's not trying harder. It's not being better. 
It's not, you know, using these techniques, practices, willpower, turning over a new leaf. That's not going to save you, right? I'm going to do the best that I can do. That, there's no power in that. That's your, that, that's going to fall short. It's the power of God, that miraculous, that transforming power that takes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. Amen. Praise God. He gets all the glory. If you could do anything, work, add to your salvation, then you have a reason to boast. Salvation is no reason to boast. It is the power of God alone. Amen. Isn't that amazing? So don't do that. Now listen, it's very true. It's very true that people are capable of making very significant changes in their lives. Okay. That's, there's no doubt about that. Even lasting changes, right? They could do things to become more productive in life. They could do things to become responsible. They could do things to become a better person in life. They, they can do this. And, and this kind of, you need to be careful because it could, could, could fool you in some ways. I mean, people have, have kicked or beat that addiction. You know, I, I've gotten rid of that. They've made lifestyle changes that have resulted in better health and they're in a better place than they were. So, so I'm improving myself in this way. They've worked on their personality issues or they're working on their personality, um, kind of managing their emotions, kind of changing and transforming in that way. Some people go back to school, so they get a good job. They obtain wealth and status. Some people find religion or spirituality, and, and there's actual kind of changes in their life. They've kind of, you know, they're, they're moving ahead. They're, they're not where they were in, in certain ways. Some people get involved in very noble causes and, and charities, and they're helping the poor, and they do many good things like that. Now, these things may be good insofar as they go, at least for a while, but I want you to understand something. These kinds of improvements, these self-improvements, do not get you closer to God. They're not going certainly not going to get you into heaven. But in fact, these kinds of things kind of mimic a conversion of sorts, right? You know, kind of mimics conversion because I'm not that person that I used to be. I've put off the weight. I'm, I'm a healthy person now. So it's kind of like I've turned over a new leaf in that way. And it's almost like a, a secular kind of sanctification. Oh, I feel spiritual now and I'm getting closer to, to, to God. That's, you're missing the power because that's, that's, they, it, those kinds of things do not get to the root to the heart of what the issue is. You understand that? So people all the time are trying to improve themselves, trying to do this, trying to do that, even getting spiritual, even getting religion, but that's not going to give you ultimate joy, ultimate hope, ultimate peace, ultimate certainty, ultimate settledness. Because they, they do not, man, they cannot make you right with God. And that's what Paul's talking about here. They can't make you right with God that is your greatest and most desperate and most basic and most fundamental need of all is to be right with God. Amen. That's what Paul is saying here, right? It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. You can't change yourself. You can improve yourself a little bit, but you can't change your nature. Jeremiah 13, 23 tells us that. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? That's an indictment on all of us. That's talking about our essential nature. Can't change the skin, although these days maybe you can, right? <laughs> the spots, maybe you can. We won't go there, though. But you know what that's saying. That's our essential nature. It stays the same. Augustine said, look, man, the heart is... He didn't say, look, man. He just said, the heart is restless 
until it finds its rest in you. And he tried everything. If you read his biography, Augustine tried everything to find peace, happiness, fulfillment. The heart's restless until it finds its rest in thee. The writer of Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. This is the end of the book, coming to the end of the, uh, end of the book. After he's tried everything, had everything, went everywhere, experienced it all more than anybody else could, right? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This applies to every person. Those things, those self-improvement things, they're good insofar as they go, but they don't go far enough, not nearly. They don't deal with the underlying issue of our relationship with God, with our Creator. Do you understand that? And that's what Paul's saying. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, and I'm preaching it. As it stands, our relationship with God is fundamentally broken. Do you understand? Our relationship with Him is fundamentally broken. It has to do with our nature. Ephesians 2 tells us, by nature we're what? Children of God? Children of wrath. We're under wrath. We're created in God's image, but we're fallen. We're under his wrath. The heart is what, guys? You tell me. The heart is soft, very receptive, very open to the things of God. No, it's as hard as can be. It's a hard heart. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it, the Bible says, right? It's, a, it's, it's unreceptive to the things of God. On its own. That's why you need the powerful working of God. Amen? Enmity with God. Do you know what enmity means? That means fundamental rebellion against God. You were in fundamental rebellion against God before you were a Christian. Do you, do you believe that? Even if you're a nice person, even if you're a good person, even if you're not out there, you know, carrying the signs and wearing all the satanic things, you know, an open enemy of God, you were in rebellion against God. And you could be the nicest person in the world. But you know what? That nicest person, when they're pressed, when they're pressed with the claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you need to hate your sin, that you need to see how sinful you are, that you need to trust in him, that you can't do the things that you want that make you feel good, that go against what seems to be fair in your life. When those demands of the gospel and the demands of God are pressed upon you, that enmity comes out no matter how sweet, how cute, how nice you may be, right? Think about it. even today, even with Roe v. Wade, you got a lot of conservatives who would be on our team politically or, you know, whatever, have that. They're concerned about way, the way things are going. We'll speak against certain things in, in that regard. But when it comes to this issue, watch out. I've heard of a couple of blogs of conservatives who are just filled with vitriol, hatred, and anger towards those who are on the side of uh, Roe v. Wade being abolished. So the very nice person, that something's going to press your button. Didn't C.S. Lewis say something to that effect? You see the nicest person. Take away the nice things that they do, and you see what's left. Something like that. I know I'm butchering that. It's from mere Christianity. But that's the idea behind it, right? It has to do with our sin. That's the bottom line. That's what Paul's talking about. That's why he's excited to preach the gospel to everybody. That's why he's not ashamed. That's why there's power in the gospel. Because that's what restores. That's what reconciles. We need not to just be better, not to be healthier. I mean, that's good for this life. To to have a more positive attitude, to have a better outlook, to have some kind of spirituality. We need our sins to be forgiven. Amen? We need the enmity to be removed. That enmity that we feel towards God when we think that he's not right, that he's not fair, that I don't want to do what he wants me to do. I want to do what I want to do. Right? We need hearts to be changed. 
And we need natures to be renewed. That's the powerful working of God. The dunamis of God. It's the power that comes with the preaching of the gospel. You were that one time. You're not that anymore. You still might struggle with sin, but that's not who, you're not who you want to be just yet, right? As we're being sanctified, but you're not who you were. Praise God. If you're a Christian this morning. Amen. That's it. This is the power of God unto salvation that makes a difference, not only now, but for all eternity. That's why Paul's so excited. That's what he's saying, man. I can't wait to preach the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to tell you the whole gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. That's what changes our hearts. Number two, who is it for? Who is it for? He says it's to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. That gospel call goes to everyone, everywhere. No one's excluded from being called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent and believe. We don't discriminate. We don't say, well... I'm not going to preach it to that guy because I don't like him. I do like you, by the way. But, right, we go everywhere with the gospel. That's the outward call of the message of Christ. Everyone who believes in Christ, that's who it's for. Number one, the gospel is for everyone. And listen to this, because it's the only one. That's it. It is very exclusive. I know that's a hard thing to say in this day and age. You Christians, you have that one way. You have that only way. Listen, it, it's it's the only way that reconciles us with God. There aren't many paths. There's only one way. The Bible's clear. Jesus says it himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except, except, are there any other exceptions to that? No, it's except only through Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in many others. Is that what that says? There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why we do this. It's the power of the gospel. And why is this the case? Why isn't there many other ways? Why can't your way be your way, my way be my way? What about this nice person over there that's practicing the religion real well? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why, because our issue is not with the universe, right? Our issue is not with Buddha, Our issue and problem is not with Allah, is it? Our issue is not with Mithra. Our issue is with our Creator. He's the one who we sinned against. He's the one to whom we need to be reconciled. We don't need to be reconciled to the earth. We don't need to be reconciled to the stars. We don't need to be reconciled to Buddha because we didn't sin against them. We've sinned against our Creator, God. That's why God the Father sent God the Son to transform us by God the Holy Spirit. We need to be reconciled to him. You understand? That's why the gospel is the only way. That's why this is the only answer. That's why you can't say, well, if you're doing good in your religion, that's cool for you. It's not cool for you. Because you're not being reconciled to the one whom you've actually sinned against. Does that make sense? Please say it does. It's very simple to understand. That's why he says it's for everyone who believes. It's for everyone, number one. Number two, or Galatians 3.22 tells us this. But the scripture imprisoned everything and everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We're all under sin, all of us, everybody. It doesn't matter. Number two, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your position, your standing, your place. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy, poor, Smart, dumb, winner, loser, popular, obscure, nerd, beautiful, not so beautiful. 
We're all shut up under sin. We're all in the same boat, and we all need to be reconciled to God. That's why he came. That's why that's the power of the God. That's why he came. Salvation in Jesus Christ, when we believe, lifts us to the same standing as well in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, listen to this, man. This is what's so beautiful. There's no second-class citizens with the Lord. And I say this often because you need to hear it often because it's true that there's no second-class citizens. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we try, I always say, try to imagine that, man, that, that Jesus Christ loves you with the same love, the same intensity of love that he loves all the other saints. You know, oh, the Apostle Paul. How, that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is loved by God just as much as he loves you. Not more, not less. You're not going to feel less loved by the Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's why he says in Galatians, you don't have to turn. In Galatians chapter 3, he says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You are one. It doesn't mean you stop being a girl. It doesn't mean you stop being a boy. It doesn't mean you stop being Jewish by nature or Italian or whatever. But it means in the eyes of the Lord, we are counted as equal and as one in him. Amen? Praise God. That's the beauty of it. And then he says, to the, but you might say, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Listen, that's just a matter of progression. It's not that, oh, the Jews are the... The, the Jews, God chose that people to do what? To be a light unto the nations. To show the people the love of God. The, the nation should have looked at Israel and the Jewish nation and said, okay, that's the true God. That's, and at times they did. But for the most part, what happened usually? They would get mixed up with the other nations and marry and start worshiping foreign gods. But nevertheless... It was this nation that were given the oracles. We'll talk more about this as we get into chapter 2 and later on as well. But that's the idea. It's not, oh, the Jews are real special, and then there's the rest of us. No. It starts with the Jews. It's a progression. It begins there, but it's not only for the Jews. That's why he said, Jesus said, go make disciples of who? All nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? At that time, there was a preaching to, to the house of Israel. But then in Acts chapter 1, he said, Begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. So it's for everyone who believes. God's powerful working is effectual, and it's evident. When he works, we change. Capiche? We can give the message, we'll tell it to you, but only he can change you. Right? So some of you are going to be sitting here all the time saying, oh man, when is this going to be over? I don't get this. we got to tell you, in his time, in his choosing, he works. So when the gospels preach, look what happens. In Acts chapter 2, this is the powerful working. Now when they heard this, after Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. That cut to the heart is that piercing of the heart. That's when you wake up. That's when you see it. Okay, I am a sinner. Jesus is a Christ. If you're a Christian, you know that moment of salvation or that time when you were saved. You've come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What must we do? He said to Peter, Brothers, what shall we do? Believe, repent, believe, and be baptized. In Acts 16, 14, with Lydia, um, yes, one, one who heard us uh, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. See, she was close. She was one of these people who go to church, as it were, in our day, who kind of knew about God and, you know, understood, like God, right, had that, but still was at enmity with God at some point, wasn't trusting and then believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can get close, as it were, you're still a million miles away. Um, 
from, from heaven. It's, it's not nearly enough. But she was a worshiper of God, respecter. And there are a lot of people like that. And that's what we have to be careful of. And that's why we need to preach the full gospel at all times. Don't take anything for granted. Paul was praying with them. The Lord opened her heart. Paul preached the gospel to her. Paul prayed with her and the other women there. And who opened the heart? Did she finally say, oh, now I get it. I come to that on my own. That's what you might think. But we're told very plainly, the Lord opened her heart. Salvation, that's that powerful working of God. And your life is never the same. It can't be. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And there's the contrast between being dead spiritually and made alive. Powerful working of God. We're going to expand on all of this as we go through Romans, but I just want you to get this morning. That's why he's not ashamed, and that's why you shouldn't be ashamed. That's why we need to preach it fully and faithfully, because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Now, it's not only that God works powerfully in us, but we see how that power works in verse 17. Look at this. He says this, For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This teaches us how we're made acceptable in the sight of God. In a very capsulized way, again, we're going to expand on the righteousness of God, on justification, as we move into chapter 3 and 4, as we move there. But for right now, just check this out. This is so key. This is what the gospel does. This is what it does. It makes us right with God. This is most important I mean, almost everything else hinges on this. It runs through the rest of the epistle, this idea of righteousness. Again, like I said, we'll be looking at it um, closely, more closely as we move on. It's so important to understand and distinguish what Paul's referring to here when he speaks of the righteousness of God. Since the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It's, it's, it's um, revealed from faith to faith. You know, this is what changed everything for Martin Luther, who started, really was at the head of the Reformation in the 1500s. If you're in my history class, you know this, you know the whole story. But uh, this is for Luther. Initially, he believed that the righteousness spoken of here, when he says the righteousness of God is revealed, referred to only that attribute of God, that God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous, and he is perfectly righteous. He's perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly righteous and right in every single way. So the question becomes, like, how do you live up to that? How do I live up to that righteousness of the gospel so that I might be accepted by God? And if you think about it, that's how most people think today. Most people think that around you. How do I live up to that righteousness of God? Well, what did Luther do? If you know anything about Martin Luther, he went to work, didn't he? He went to work. So He prayed. He poured through the scripture. He prayed countless hours. He spent countless hours in confession, in the confessional. He spent so much time in the confessional that his confessor said to him, you know what he said to him? He said, Martin, quit coming to me every minute. I'm paraphrasing. Quit coming to me every minute with these sins. But Luther was so intent, like he, he knew his sin all too well, and he was trying so hard to win that righteousness, to earn that favor of God. So he would go into the confessional. He would, he would um, do works of, of contrition all the time, pilgrimages, everything to try to get to that place. And I appreciate him for that. He agonized over this because he thought that that would that. That's what righteousness meant, and so do many other people. You think you need to meet that righteousness of God, don't you? You think you'd be acceptable by God by doing something, certain things. But no, that's not what's being talked about here. 
You can't live up to that. You'll just become bitter. Even Martin Luther at one point said, love God, love God. Sometimes I hate him because he couldn't live up to this righteousness. But it was by God's grace, through Luther's perseverance and study, he read this verse and this passage in context, and he came to see how Paul uses it here and what it actually means, and that changed everything for Luther. And that changes everything for us. It changes everything for every believer. Second thing is, Paul means by righteousness that the gospel's not merely a revelation of God's attribute of righteousness that we have to ascend to or, or attempt to meet or please or satisfy, but it's a righteousness that God gives to us. Not that he's just simply altogether righteous, he is, but it's a righteousness that comes from God to us as a gift that makes us right with God, that makes us acceptable to God. That's the righteousness that he gives. And it's received by faith alone through in Christ alone. That's all the grace. That's what salvation is. That's the hope. That set everything. That changed everything. Righteousness, when he says a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, it's the righteousness that God provides for people who don't have even one ounce of righteousness. And who are those people? That's you. That's me. Not one ounce. There's nothing we can say, here, God, I give this to you. Here, Lord, look at this. There's nothing. It's a gift of God. That changes everything for us, doesn't it? It's a righteousness that he provides. I do want to read a quote from Luther on this. It says this. He said this. Then finally, God had mercy on me. And this is in the context of this, this passage. Finally, God had mercy on me. And I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God by which a righteous man lives, namely faith. In that sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel is passive, indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen? That's it. It's an alien righteousness. It's, a form, it's outside of ourselves. It's nothing we can muster up. That's what's so amazing about the gospel of Christ. You could rest from your labors. You could rest from trying to work. You can rest from trying to please God in, in certain ways or earn his favor. It's a righteousness that's given to us. So in Romans 3, we'll talk much more about this when we get here. It says, for by the works of the law, I'm going to try to work hard. I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. I'm going to try to keep this, do that. Hopefully God, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since it's the, since the law comes, through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We'll talk much more about that when we get there. And um, Ephesians 3.9. I'm sorry, Philippians 3.9. That I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's it. Justification by faith. We'll talk much more about that, I said, um, as I said earlier, as we get to further sermons. But this is good news, isn't it? This is great news. This is the only news that's different from all the other news, all the other religions, all the other philosophies, all the other ways. It's something you do. It depends, at least in part, on you. In Christianity, what do you bring to the table? Zippo, right? What do you give to God that he makes you acceptable to him? Nothing. That's why we don't try harder. That's why we try not to do better. Because we can't. And when you realize that is when you have the grace of God and that righteousness that comes from him. Amen? It's amazing. This is good news. 
This is how we're made acceptable, how we're counted as righteous in His sight, how it's settled, how we are declared not guilty, how we can stand in His presence when we die. Good. No purgatory. Nope. Directly to the Lord. All your striving, all your self-improvement, all your religion, all your spirituality cannot do this. But this is exactly what you need, and it comes from God alone. Real simple, real basic. Right at the beginning of his letter, Paul is bringing this out. Not saved by anything else. There's no other way. Then he says, from faith to faith. That simply means from beginning to end. It's all of God. It's all of grace. You still have nothing to do with your salvation. In our sanctification, we live for the Lord and so forth. But our salvation and our life in Christ, that's why you can't lose it. It's not yours necessarily to lose. It's his. He's given it to you. You can't take away what he's done in you. You think you can undo what God has done in you? That he's taken the hardest stone? This is why it's so arrogant for people to say, well, I've been saved 15 or 20 different times. You have not. You've probably never been saved. You're only saved one time. Because when he saves us, he changes us, man, from the inside out. He gives a new heart. He justifies us. He's sanctifying us. He adopts us into the family. He, sa- he pr- pronounces we are going to be glorified. He does all that work in us. Who are you to undo that work in him? Are you kidding me? You think you have much power? If you are his, you belong to him, you will always be his. He will never leave nor forsake you. It is his salvation granted to us, and we believe. From first to last, from the first moment to the end, he gives it, he sustains it. He who began a good work in you shall what? Shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is what Christianity is. We should be amazed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. This is the grace of God in our lives. This is why it was such a big deal for Luther, and it should be for all of us as Christians. Do you realize what you have in Christ? Do you realize that gift that you've been set apart? Well, then how then shall we live, right? What's it look like? That's the final point. What does it look like? He says, the righteous shall live by faith. His love and his work shows up in our lives. It shows up in our faith. It shows up in our new obedience. It shows up in our new life, that we're living no longer for ourselves, but for Christ. That's it. Our our worldview is shaped by the Bible. Our lives are governed by the Spirit, and we're living for him. Are you doing that today? I mean, we're fighting the fight, right? That's the idea. The just shall live by faith. If you're righteous, if you've been declared righteous, if you're in Jesus Christ, then you will live by faith. And by faith that's from the Bible, from the word itself, not from what you think faith looks like, not from what you think this is what God will be pleased with. Oh, I know the Bible says this, but I'm still going to be a jerk, right? I know the Bible says this, but I'm still going to live in this way, right? I know what Scripture teaches, how I need to conduct myself as a husband and as a wife, but I don't care. I'm still going to be nasty and mean, right? No, that's that's inconsistent. That's contrary to the word. Don't give me these Christians who sit there and say, yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm still going to have my lover on the side, and that's okay. We're going to live together and sleep together because God loves us. No, that's inconsistent with the word. You can't do that. No, I love Jesus, and my life has changed, but I'm going to be just as greedy as I ever was, right? And I'm going to look out for number one. That's not consistent. That's not who we are in Christ. When he makes that change, you are changed and it shows up in your life. You shall know them by their fruits. Again, not perfectly. We're still going to slip into our sin. I'm I'm not saying that. But fundamentally, we are changed by him and it shows up. Habakkuk 2.4 is where he gets the righteous shall live by faith. What was happening in Habakkuk's day 
It was a contrast. Habakkuk was contrasting the proud, the arrogant, the self-sufficient, the hater of God, like the Babylonians coming in with the righteous and the humble and the dependent. He said, look, the righteous are going to live by faith and they're going to be brave and bold and um, walking with God. So number one, the truly converted, if you're truly converted, if there's righteousness by faith, this goes all the way back to not being ashamed, to being bold, to speaking it, to know the power of God that changes, transformed, to being justified, made right with God, and then that shows up in your life. The truly converted will seek to live for God, not to earn his love, not to earn his favor, but because you have his love and because you have his favor. That's our motivation as Christians. I'm not doing this just so he'll love me more. He can't love you any more than he already does. I'm doing this because he loves me so much, and this is who I am in him. So that's where the motivation comes from, to be faithful, part of our motivation, just because of what Christ has done and how we are loved by him. So there should be a desire, if you're a Christian, to please him. You should fight with against your sin. You should hate the way that you are sometimes. You should, you should be so ashamed of yourself at times, the way you act as a Christian. I know I am, right? Because I'm not living up to the standard that we're called to live, what's expected of us, who we are in Christ, how we're able to do that, right? It shouldn't do, we, we need, our desire should be to please him, to have a sense of gratefulness and gratitude, confidence in and dependence on God alone. Do you? Right? We need to be humble and bold, not just like these humble little sheep over there in the corner. We always have to have a, a, an attitude of humility and grace, but we need to be bold sometimes to speak out. Jesus was tender and he was tough, wasn't he? He was tender with some, like the woman at the well. He was tough on Nicodemus. He should have known better. So he's going to be tender and tough. That's what we need to be as well. We can't be just one or the other all the time. We need to be consistent, obedient, counting the cost of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You're going to have to say no to yourself, man. You have to say no to that particular sin in your life. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that because of what Christ has done for me and who I am in Christ. And when I do go there, I'm going to confess that sin. We need to be, we need to be compassionate. We need to be content in our lives. How many of Christians are really content in God's providence? Well, we say we believe in God's providence and everything is in his hand and we're, we are where we are because of who he is, but then we're so bummed out because we don't have this, we don't have that, we're lacking this. We need to be content in every circumstance, like Paul said. I'm not saying you always have to be happy and cheerful all the time. You could be in a tough place, but there still needs to be that underlying contentment in the Lord that he's sovereign over this, right? And not complaining all the time and not moaning and groaning. If I only had this, then I'd be like, why doesn't God give me this? Come on, man. He has us here for a reason. How are we going to react? How Are we going to have that contentment, whether it's we have a lot or a little comparatively, right? We need to have mercy with others. We need to be patient, persevering in our faith. That's what it looks like, man, doesn't it? That's what it looks like to be in Christ, to be a Christian. And we don't muster this stuff up. It flows through us by the Holy Spirit. It's our flesh that battles against this, right? <laughs> you know, we want to be compassionate, but there's another part of us that says, no way, you're a bum, I'm not going to help you until you help yourself, right? We want to be merciful in that way, but until you, know, do you, until you earn my mercy, then I'm not going to give it to you, right? We can't be like that, we, you know? I want to give up all the time. Well, I'm just going to give up on this stuff and just live the life. You know, I'm so disgusted with you know, the way things are in God. I'm just going to, no, we need to persevere. God, I know it's difficult. We're in a really tough place. It's really challenging right now, but I trust in you. Like Job said, what did he say? His wife said, curse God and die. Right? What did Job say? Well, he slay me. 
yet will I trust him? What are you going to do? He's our God. He loves us. He's changed us. It's dealing with our sin in a realistic way. Even as Christians, we kind of fudge our sin or we have a special sin over here that we're just going to entertain that life-dominating sin that we can't get get away from and we kind of make peace with it. Never make peace with sin. You always got to fight it. You always got to battle it. Don't give any ground to sin. Don't be okay with sin in any part of your life as a Christian. Never compromise with sin. Never, never make provision for the flesh. That's part of what it means to live as righteous in the Lord. Don't, don't do that. Fight it. Battle it. Confess it. Bring it before the Lord. Take it away from me. Dealing with sin. And then receiving forgiveness. A lot of Christians can't receive forgiveness. So he'll never really love me. No, he already really loves you. And he sympathizes. And he empathizes in your weaknesses, in your sin. He draws closer because he loves you. And he's paid for those sins. Right? That's why we draw near to him. He's not going to draw away from you. You're not going to lose his love. Unashamedly loving Jesus. Unashamedly living for him. Unashamedly representing him through the things that you say, the things that you do, the way that you act, the things that you think. Every day, every moment. Paul wasn't ashamed because he knows the power of God unto salvation. It's the righteousness of God that we're made right with God. And this is what it looks like. Now, the rest of the letter of Romans kind of unpacks all of this. Right? We're going to talk more about how deep sin is, just the nature of sin starting next week. Then we're going to talk about the righteousness of God and what that really looks like, the justification, and then what it looks like to live as Christians battling with sin in our lives. So all right there in those two verses is kind of a capsule, a seed of the rest of this letter itself. So beginning with next week, we're going to deal with the reality of our situation apart from and our need for salvation.